0: This is Choni's Circle. I'm Tamar Labicki.
1: I'm Rabbi Paula Rose.
0: And on Choni's Circle,
1: we are going to explore Jewish texts from the Torah through the Talmud and lots of traditional commentaries to grapple with climate change, to help us process our emotions about climate change and about this particular moment, um, and to help us try to make sense of the world that we find ourselves in. We read in Leviticus chapter 10, Now Aaron's sons, Nadav and Avihu, each took his fire pan, put fire in it, and laid incense on it and they offered before Adonai alien fire, which had not been enjoined upon them. And fire came forth from Adonai and consumed them. Thus they died at the instance of Adonai. So this is a pretty pretty famous story, pretty well-known one, and also a pretty harsh one. You know, most often we talk about it through the lens of it not being entirely clear what Nadav and Avihu did wrong. Or what they did that was so severe that it warrants this kind of immediate divine zapping and death. But I think we think about it less through the lens of fire, right. specifically. right? We're often so focused on Nadav and Avihu in this story. Um, and perhaps even also on God in terms of like, is this an overreaction? Or right? thinking about God's motivation. That I think sometimes we actually overlook the fire itself, right? And in, in just these two short verse, verses, the word ish, fire, appears three times. And, uh, and in English, we actually get it an extra time um, where the pan is called a fire pan.
0: Yeah, so my understanding of this story, why they're consumed by fire, is because that was the way that the sacrifices were consumed, right? Yeah. Is that the fire would come down and take the sacrifice. And now that I'm thinking of it, when did that happen? When did the fire come down? Was that supposed to be like any old sacrifice on any day? Or was there a time when that happened? Now that I'm trying to think of it. There's the famous story of the prophet battle. Mm -hmm. Was that Elijah? Also Elijah. So that was a famous time when the fire came down and consumed the
1: sacrifices. Um, It's an interesting question, right? Like, we do have descriptions in the Torah of sacrifices being consumed by fire. But there's also a sense of, like, that, like, fire is being lit to do that, right? It's not necessarily seen as this sort of, like, magical, like, fire coming down from the sky to consume the sacrifice. But that element of sacred fire consuming consuming the sacrifice and that being a sign of it being accepted, right? right? And in particular of, like, the smoke rising up, right? The symbolism of that is very much about the sacrifice working, as it were, um, that is somehow being accepted by God. Right, which
0: gives the story a little bit of ambivalence, it seems. Like, I have a memory of some commentators being like, was this a bad thing? Maybe they're just... A sacrifice that was taken up because it was so holy instead of like, you did the wrong thing, you're going to die.
1: Maybe actually what's happening is that they are somehow getting so close, right, and like so in contact with something sacred that it's not actually a punishment. It's just like a natural consequence that like when you are in this kind of intensely intimate encounter with the divine, like the thing that happens is that you're consumed by fire. Right. Which is interesting because there does
0: seem to be a bit of a negative connotation. They, they offered alien fire that God had not asked them to offer. But you could see it as, well, God's setting up the sacrificial system that needs to be sustainable. Mm-hmm. So we can't have the priests being consumed all the time.
1: <laughs> that, uh, that would be a problem. <laughs> That would be a problem. Yeah, I, I mean, I think you're right, right? I think given this language of alien fire that was not commanded, to me that does seem to imply an element of like, oh, that's not that's not actually what you were supposed to do, and that that was somehow incorrect behavior. Though I would say not necessarily incorrect behavior, of the severity that it warrants the death penalty, right? So I think, it, right? It, right I, th- I think it could be both, which is maybe what you were getting at, right? Both that this is the wrong thing to do, perhaps because it means that priests are going to die, and you can't sort of create <laughs> a sustainable system that way. But also that it's not that you get killed because you did the wrong thing; it's you get killed because, like, that's what happens if you're in this kind of situation,
0: right? And. We were talking in a previous episode about Choni and how he was a zealot. He had a special connection with God and thus had special dispensation of what the community or the other rabbis would allow him to do. And so we were thinking back to other zealots in the Torah, and Nadav and
1: Avihu could be seen as spiritual zealots. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. And perhaps this text is also a caution against zealotry of like, yeah, there actually are ways, perhaps even of getting even closer to the divine than the system the Torah sets up. And perhaps this text is a little bit of a warning about the potential consequences of going outside of that system.
0: (laughs) Right. And since we're tying it back to nature, I'm reminded of this documentary about people who studied volcanoes. And, spoiler, they end up dying. And so it's this idea of, like, you know, since our podcast is about our relationship to nature and climate change, we're reading the story of these spiritual zealots and this thin border that you might want to approach but not cross because of the risk to your life. And interestingly,
1: I think, in nature, we have that as well. So. Yeah. And, and I think there's a temptation, um, and perhaps this is part of what's happening with Nandavanavihu. I think there's a, a temptation when there's something that we interact with regularly, we become habituated to it. It becomes less scary, more comfortable, less threatening, which is good, right? Like we couldn't operate in the world if that weren't true. But perhaps actually Nadav and Avihu have an inappropriate comfort with fire. As priests who, who operate in this realm of bringing offerings and burning things um, and fire and fire pans and incense, maybe part of what's happening here is that they don't actually fully respect the power of fire mm. and have gotten sort of a little bit complacent um, about the dangers involved.
0: Right. Right. Their comfort level is such that when they become very enthusiastic, they lose their sense of caution. Mm -hmm. So we spoke on another episode about this idea of humility and always bringing humility into these decisions and these thoughts about what solutions we might come up with, always having that humility to say, well, this sounds great now, but what could the consequences be?
1: Right, I think that that is maybe part of really where Nadav and Avihu go wrong here, because it does feel like humility is really something that's absent from this story. Mm-hmm. Not that there's, you know, always something wrong with with creativity and spiritual license and doing something above and beyond what's commanded of you, but the way that this story is portrayed with them, with the text telling us explicitly that they're doing something that isn't commanded, seems to convey with it, if not an arrogance, then at least a lack of humility.
0: Right. And for Nana and Avihu, what's particularly striking to me is that they're not just individuals. They're also part of a priestly lineage. And so with their death, they're cutting off their potential mm. generations to come after them. So it's sort of a comment of, we don't want this idea to go down the line in a way. hmm And that brings to mind is Pinchas did get the priestly lineage, right? Yeah. So it's these two stories of zealotry, one of which cuts off the priestly lineage and one of which instates it.
1: Yeah. That's really interesting. And I think with Pinchas... Sometimes the thing that's talked about, or one of the things that gets talked about in that context is the idea of sort of channeling that zealotry of like, oh, if we can have the descendants of Pinchas in the priesthood, right? Hopefully we can can channel that zealous energy, perhaps not into murdering people, but into service of the divine in a very regimented way. And it's interesting that that in some ways is like precisely what Nadav and Avihu don't do Right, they're already within that context and, and don't live up to that task, I suppose.
0: Right. And this idea of cutting off the lineage makes me think about the fact that throughout the past century, we have come up with solutions to climate change. Solar panels were invented in the 50s. 15 or 20% of cars in the 1910s were electric. Wow. So this idea that these solutions or these ideas came about much earlier than we might suspect, but in a way their lineage was cut off or paused for Mm -hmm. a very long period of time. And it makes me think that, I assume everyone knows this, but these kinds of decisions of how we promote our ideas or maybe what forces are arrayed against them can stop a good idea from coming off the ground.
1: Yeah, right. Like maybe in a different context with slightly different parameters or different characters um, or in a different moment, right? This story happens right as the Mishkan, the portable tabernacle in the wilderness is getting inaugurated. What if this story happened later once things were better established in another context actually maybe nadev and avihu bringing their own fire that they feel called to bring is actually fine and there's something about this particular moment that makes that not something that's going to be received well yeah maybe the same idea in a different moment or with different surrounding circumstances is received better
0: right and Another potential explanation for why this punishment occurred was that they got drunk before bringing the sacrifice.
1: Yeah, so that actually in some ways is rooted in the text itself pretty closely. So after the this story, and there's a little bit more to this story, in terms of the way that Nadav and Avihu are mourned or not, the very next section begins with a commandment that the priests can't enter the sanctuary while they're inebriated. And so the rabbis read those things together and say, oh, look, we're getting that commandment right here because that actually is what Nadav and Avihu did wrong. And that sort of being outside of a sober state is what prompted them to bring this fire. And that that's actually the problem as opposed to sort of doing something that's not commanded or something of their own free will.
0: Right. So if you play this what-if game, you could ask, what if they didn't get drunk? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but also the, the drunkenness could be seen as a lesson as well, which is that if you have an idea to present, you have to be aware of how you're presenting it. Yeah. Right?
1: Yeah. If you want to be taken seriously, you know, there's a way to do that <laughs> and uh, a whole bunch of ways not to do that. I also just want to highlight, and this is a little bit of a tangent, but I think there's something really powerful about the way that this is mida keneged mida, sort of measure for measure, in that the thing that Nadav and Avihu do wrong, as it were, is fire, and then the thing that comes and takes their lives is fire. This whole story is being told through the same, through the same matter. And again, that could be sort of because of the natural consequences approach that when you're playing with fire, you might get burned by fire. But I don't know. I feel like when we're dealing with the realm of divine punishment, it could be anything, right? We also have stories of divine punishment with water, with the flood. So,
0: Or a hole opening up in the ground. Or a
1: hole opening up in the ground, right? God has lots of tools. So I do find it really striking This attempt to do something with fire um, and then the fact that it is fire ultimately that brings about their demise.
0: Right. And when I think of the imagery of it and think of the fire pan that they bring, I visualize this small frying pan (laughs) that you can start a small fire in. And then God has like whoosh, (laughs) a humongous fire coming down, which rings true to me in a way when I'm thinking about the devastation of climate change. And I think, you know, it's human made that the actions that we took put greenhouse gases in the atmosphere and then caused all these hurricanes and fires and droughts to occur. But as a human being standing here and seeing the magnitude of it, it's kind of like, wow, I just drove a car, and now
1: this thing is happening. Right, like I'm just holding my little frying pan, (laughs) and somehow it feels like the world around us is burning, and those don't feel, it feels like a mismatch in force, right? Which, in a way, it isn't, because
0: it's all physics. It's all the natural forces behaving exactly as planned. But to the small human perspective, it feels like a frying pan and a column of fire.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think the other piece, the other piece too, is that, like, at least in this story, it seems like we really just have two frying pans. Now, and each have their pan. And we are probably talking about something that's, like, small and contained until it's not anymore. But I think, you know, when it comes to climate change, right, each of us is looking at our own Frying pan and being like, well, I just have this small frying pan, but when you have billions of people on the planet, right, we're not talking about two fire pans, we're talking about billions. And so that that adds up too. Yeah. As we close here though, I also want us to hold on to the fact that fire is also sacred, right? So it's not just that there are these individual frying pans that ultimately bring about a tremendous amount of of destruction. But also beyond this story, there are going to be countless moments when fire is used effectively and safely and in a contained way to cultivate a relationship with the divine and to sustain that. And and most of the time when that happens, the priests are not going to get killed and there's not going to be this great all-consuming pillar of fire coming forth from God. Perhaps that can be a source of hope for us too Rabbi Paula Rose, the Associate Rabbi of Congregation Beth Shalom in Seattle. This podcast is a project of Congregation Beth Shalom and Ahavat Ve'avodat Adama, our community's environmental group.
0: Choni's Circle was recorded in Seattle, Washington at Full Track Productions. It was produced by Tamara Labicki and Dave Dintenfass. With original music by Ella Lebicki Feldman.
1: Thanks for listening and learning with us.